Welcome to Beyond a Parent, the podcast for Christians seeking clarity for parenting in a confusing world. I'm Chuck Mead. I'm Jeremy Autry. And today in the studio, Jeremy, we have the boss, the big the man, boss, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Pastor Doctor Cameron Cloud. Oh, it's, a, it's a little intimidating. I would hate to say something dumb and get fired on air. So that won't happen, right? Okay, good. If you haven't already done it all, for them, <laughs> I think we're safe on air. I think so. Welcome to the uh, studio, Pastor Cameron. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here on we, this premier parenting podcast. It is. Ooh. I mean, if you're not listening to this podcast as a parent, you're just doing it wrong. Mm. Your kids will probably turn out to be axe murderers or cowboys or children's pastors. You said it, <laughs> not us. The, the only people that will hear this are the ones who are listening to the podcast. <laughs> Man, that's a good point. That's a good point. So Pastor Cameron has led... Um, uh, recently, we had a Disciple Now weekend, and we had different pastors leading breakout sessions, and one that Pastor Cameron... Um, led for our students and one that we've done in the past. Uh, you've led, I know, teachings on this through a yes. ministry in the church yes. is on facing anxiety and depression. That's something very relevant, would you say, Jeremy, in um, really society, especially among students? Yeah, in fact, it's always been a big deal, you know, among students and kids. The data coming out after COVID became a thing is that this is just increasing and becoming more and more. Of a thing, so it's definitely something parents need to be aware of and conscious of, and realize is more than just telling your kid to get over it or telling your kid to be strong or telling them to go back to bed and pray. There's more to this. Not that we shouldn't be telling them to pray, but there's more to be considered than just yeah. those things. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, Pastor Cameron, do you want to start off by just defining some common terms that I think people um, may use incorrectly? Like um, depression, if you want to kind of define that and yeah, sadness. I, I think um, de- defining the terms is important because there's a range of experience, not just with children and students, but with adults, um, of depression. And so what we sometimes identify as depression is just really, well, I'll start with sadness. That's just a natural emotion that you feel um, in varying degrees, anytime there's anything that goes wrong, it's based on something. Sadness is something. It's based on something that can be identified. Um, there's something sad's taken place. My pet died. Something of a family member passed away. Varying degrees of it, but it's just a natural thing. Um, there's a particular circumstance or event or situation that you can identify. This is the cause of that. Um, sadness also can coexist with other emotions. Like you can be sad and then be laughing about something. You still experience other emotions. So a lot of times I think we wrongly identify sadness as depression. And I think we have to be careful in what terms we use with our children and with ourselves um, that we don't give them the idea, oh, I'm depressed, when it may just be natural Natural mm-hmm. sadness. Mm-hmm. Depression, on the other hand, is a it's really a mental health condition, and it affects a person's overall mood. It affects their ability to function. Um, it's not necessarily connected to a specific event. Those specific events can spark it. Mm-hmm. But a person who's depressed may not be able to tell you why they feel that way. They may just, for no apparent reason, feel depressed and. It results in deep feelings of hopelessness, which we see a tremendous amount in our society today, especially among students. 
um, helplessness. They can have difficulty carrying out everyday tasks. Now, here you have to be careful because there's some uh, symptoms of depression that are just, hey, it may just be your child just not wanting to do their homework or mm-hmm. doing their chores. Um, but it can be stemming from that. The, the difference, one of the primary differences with depression and, and sadness is whereas with sadness you can have other emotions, often with depression there's a blankness, there's a numbness, mm-hmm. and there's really, you don't, you don't experience other emotions. So that's, that's two things that are similar and have some similar uh, symptoms, but they're different. And so I think when we're talking with our children, it's important uh, to be careful not to buy into too much, oh, my child's depressed. Maybe they're just experiencing sadness because of a bad situation at school mm. or something that's happened in the family. Maybe it is. Keep your eyes on it. It could be depression, but there's there's a clear distinction. Now, within depression, there's also a range from mildly depressed all the way to extremely um, cripplingly depressed. Mm-hmm. Similar with a couple other terms that go that we're sort of talking about today, and that's anxiety and nervousness. Nervousness is again like sadness. It's a natural feeling. It's a natural experience, um, and it's usually temporary. It's it's what a child would say if they have to give a presentation, have to give a book report in class, mm-hmm. um, or they're a person's going for a job interview, or a boy's having to you know speak to a girl, and boy, it's getting nervous, and your fingers get cold, and your hands get clammy, and so that's that's nervousness. Everybody experiences it. And it's, it's related to a specific situation. But anxiety is a long-term experience. It's a condition. You have persistent feelings of worry and fear, um, apprehension. And it can then result in more extreme or more severe physical symptoms. So, again, I think sometimes people identify anxiety, something that's just nervousness about situations in life. And sometimes our children are experiencing it, and they don't know what they're experiencing. If we overdo it and um, respond too severely, too strongly, then we can begin to develop in them the idea. I remember a student that I knew one time. She was in the third grade, and she came in, and she was just very distraught. And the teacher asked her, what's going on? And, you know, what's wrong? And she said, oh, my nerves are just shot today. Mm-hmm. Well, she clearly had heard from her parents. Express she didn't know that right. she was had anxiety, or she was just having a tough day. So, I think it's important to identify those terms and the differences between, so that when we're dealing with our children. Now, on the other hand, sometimes a child may be dealing with strong anxiety, and we're just like, "Oh, you're just being nervous. That's just that's just your nerves." Mm-hmm. And it could be something more serious. Right. So understanding the difference between a natural emotion in certain circumstances and situations as opposed to an actual condition that needs to be addressed is important. Mm. So going into this, it's important for us to consider these things because if our kid is dealing with sadness um, and and we can identify why they're sad and what's going on, and uh, that doesn't mean we ignore it. It, we we help them understand here's here's how you deal with 
yeah. a situation that yeah. makes you sad, and I'm going to walk through this with you, and you're not alone. But we don't necessarily need to seek clinical help or right. or right. outside, you know, of the the family structure and scripture. Um, and the same thing with nervousness. You, you're going to deal with this. You're yeah. nervous about giving your speech in class. You're going to be <laughs> nervous about things that come up when you're an adult and you're not in my house. Let's walk through this. Let's figure out how to deal with nervousness. But when we talk about depression and anxiety, this is another level. Right. And that's really the the purpose of our uh, podcast today. But I just want to kind of say in the beginning of it, that doesn't mean that once you determine Oh, this is just sadness. Oh, this is just normal nervousness. You still have to be engaged with your kid. Um, there's a real danger, uh, and we see this happening with teens because often they're less willing to communicate their emotions to mm-hmm. their parents mm-hmm. or to other adults. Right. So they're going through this sadness, and they just go in the room, they shut the door, and we just leave them alone in there to stew in it and mm. figure it out on their own. And mm-hmm. that, as parents, we need to be engaged in that. We need to care that our kid is sad. We need to remember what it's like when you were a kid and a pet yeah. died or when you were in a relationship and it ended and not just blow it off, you right. know, because it's yeah. just kid stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that's not that big of a deal, but it's a big deal to a child. And I don't, I think we can lose that opportunity to help them learn how to deal with sadness. Sometimes parents will protect their child uh, try to protect them from any kind of sadness mm-hmm. or protect them from any kind of nervousness. But it's good for them at an early age to go through these experiences to learn how to process them. At a natural and appropriate time exactly. and on a natural and appropriate scale. And when they haven't done that, I I don't want to delve too far into the societal issues with our increasing anxiety. But one, I believe, is, is that students are reaching the teen years and they were never allowed to process things as children Mm. because they were protected. They were exposed to some things too early. They were protected from some things until too late. Mm. And so then when they really start having stressful, bigger decisions, more responsibility, wow, I don't know how to handle this. They haven't Mm. developed that muscle. Exactly. Yeah, and then now what would have been nervousness maybe becomes anxiety. Anxiety, Okay. So, Pastor Cameron, what would you say – would be some signs of anxiety that parents should look for in their kids. How? What would be something they could point to and be like, okay, is my kid just experiencing nervousness? How do I know this is actually becoming anxiety? Yeah, yeah, and that's part of that is begins with knowing your child. Nobody knows or should know your child like you do. And so, beginning to watch for things that are extraordinary or unusual, um, it can be issues with common day experiences. Maybe they start having difficulty sleeping. Sometimes they have trouble, you know, they fall asleep at unusual times. And again, some of these symptoms can appear similar to just life experience. So you have to say, is this something unusual? Uh, If they start avoiding social situations or isolating themselves from from friends and family, uh, significant swings in appetite, suddenly they don't want to eat. Or suddenly they just want to eat everything in sight. Now that may just mean they become a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so so this that can be. I had two teenage boys, so you know I might comes, be a teenage boy. I want you, <laughs> Pastor Jeremy, could be a teenage boy, or he could be anxious. I'm not sure. <laughs> it could just be a natural experience. So, but it's it's watching for those changes, um, emotional flags, things like they start having obsessive behaviors or obsessive thoughts. Um, they develop like a perfectionism severe fear of failure, uh, and again, 
can be somewhat natural, but it, if it begins to move beyond that, constant worrying about everyday situations, um, things like um, increased irritability, frustration. So those are emotional flags. You can watch for uh, some physical flags if they start to have constant or uh, chronic physical symptoms like headaches and stomach aches and uh, some of those things that seem mild, but they start becoming chronic. Mm-hmm. That's something you would say, hey, there's a cause to this because anxiety is just our body's warning system that our body, our mind, and our soul are under stress. Mm-hmm. So anxiety is not the true issue. That's just that's the warning bells that go off. So when you start seeing these physical flags, it can be mental warning flags like obsessive thoughts, perfectionism, again, those those similar to emotional, um, they might have difficulty concentrating and focusing on tasks. Those kind of things. Again, sometimes it's a childhood stage, but if you see some of these flags combined, um, they can begin to be. So mental, physical, emotional, spiritual flags. If you see rebellious behavior in an attempt to have some kind of control over their life, you know, clearly obeying their parents and submitting to their parents is a key biblical principle. And if they've been that way, but then suddenly they start rebelling. Sometimes that rebellion stems from, I feel anxious and fearful because I'm not in control of my life. And this one thing in my life is something I can control. Mm -hmm. Some of that obsessive behavior can come from that. Mm -hmm. And it gives them a little area in their life that they can feel like they have some measure of control. And when that control begins to conflict with the parents' control, you get some of that rebellion. Mm. Um, and and then a radical shift in spiritual behavior, like engaged with church but suddenly not wanting to go to youth group or, um, you know, reads the Bible and prays and then just, you know, just suddenly stops. Mm-hmm. Some of that can be just natural spiritual experience. We call it backsliding, but it may be related to that. So when you start seeing some of those flags, I think that's a good good indication to start paying close attention Right, right. So with that, I know our society is really, in in some ways, is becoming more aware of this. And so in previous generations, um, or really just depending on the household, parents did not know how to handle this. Yeah. Just suck it up, buttercup, or whatever they would say. What are some mistakes parents <laughs> often make with Chuck, kids? Did your dad say suck it no, up, buttercup? No, he, he has never said that phrase <laughs> okay. to me. I've heard that before. I've, I met your dad, and I could see him saying that. Uh, That's why I, I don't think I've never heard him say the word buttercup. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, the sentiment was there, just not that terminology. <laughs> no, no. But what would be some mistakes parents? often make with kids experiencing anxiety and depression? Yeah, I think um, I can think of several. I'll just give two or three. Um, one would be contributing to a to their anxiety mm. by creating. Again, anxiety is the warning system of a life that we've created that is anxious in itself, so we start seeing the symptoms. Um, I don't blame all anxiety on parents, clearly, but Sometimes through undue expectations, if a child feels like I've got to constantly measure up, I've got Mm. this pressure, and there's a thin line between having expectations but placing undue expectations on them or having an anxious environment. Uh, The little girl I've talked about that said, hey, my nerves are shot, she clearly was in a home where she heard a parent or an adult say that, Mm -hmm. and that can add to it. I think there's a trickle-down anxiety from our culture where people are constantly paying attention to the news or hearing 
anxiety-inducing news on a 24-hour basis. And when you have adults that are anxious, that can even subconsciously be picked up by the children. Mm -hmm. So trying to be careful about creating that anxiety. And I mentioned about the allowing decisions. For example, we have protected children from decisions that previous generations have made very early on. And yet we've laid on them decisions about gender and sexuality mm-hmm. and all sort you know, career and life and an earlier and earlier age when they're not ready for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are significant decisions, heavy decisions. So I think trying to find a balance of that, of helping them develop that decision-making process. When they hit the student years that you lead and deal with, they're starting to make life decisions that will affect them for the rest of their life. Yeah. And that puts some burden. I mean, that's stressful. So trying to help them prepare for that. The other two will sort of go together. One issue that I see a lot of parents do is making too much of it. Um, Treating nervous, mere nervousness as um, anxiety. And, oh, oh, no, I've got to treat this seriously, so... And they sort of take it too far. Or they treat sadness as depression. Um, not helping their children learn the difference. Of creating drama where there almost becomes this emotional reward for getting be- some, some children being the center of attention. So, oh, I can milk this. Um, I'm, the, I'm the depressed kid. Subconsciously. It becomes, it's subconsciously. Yeah. Not that they do it purposely. Yeah. But subconsciously it becomes part of their identity. Mm-hmm. And so then that's, that's you know, and hey, that's what students and adults and children like. They want to stand out. They want to be different. Right. They want something that makes them feel heard. And that may become the way that they get any kind of attention at mm-hmm. all, very likely subconsciously. So feeding that, I think you have to be careful. The contrast to that is of minimizing it. I think generations past probably erred on this side of not taking it seriously. Um, when a child had this, you know, there's, there's, there are adults who don't take these things seriously for adults. Right. And when a child comes along and says, hey, I'm feeling anxious about this or I'm feeling this is the way, they may not use those terms. Um, saying things like, oh, you don't know what stress is. Yeah. Just wait to become an adult. Yeah. Or just deal with it. Or suck it up, buttercup. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to start using that. No, no. <laughs> we said not to use don't it. Use or you know, here's my favorite. Well, just cheer up. Yeah. Just cheer like, up. How is that? How is that helpful? There's yeah. a dial. I can just yeah. turn it. Yeah, that, I can just. Hey, that that did it for me. You saying cheer up cured me of depression. It's like the coach <laughs> saying, "Don't drop the ball." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I think not making too much of it, but not minimizing it either. Treating it seriously, but trying to treat it in a helpful way, helping the child understand at their level what they're experiencing and some ways to some ways to combat it. And that also that there's hope. Mm-hmm. That's key, especially as Christians. Uh, I see our world as just such a hopeless thing. I heard someone recently was talking about, hey, you know, this generation, first of all, we call them Generation Z. I mean, that's the last letter in the alphabet. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You're it, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're it. Until and alpha. There's a, there's, a, there's a continent of plastic floating in the ocean, and you got this problem, and there's world war. But go do your homework. You know, that's, <laughs> cheer up. Cheer up. Yeah. You know that's so we're we're doing this to children, and I think I think we can be sensible about the way we approach it. Mm, I like that, and I see that, and you do too. I'm sure, Jeremy. Oh of yeah. 
the pressure put on students and kids of you got to know what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 10 years old. The dichotomy um, of that, mm-hmm. uh, all that pressure, which Pastor Cameron already mentioned, but then at the same time, oh, don't worry, honey, I've already mapped out what you're going to wear tomorrow, and you yes. don't have to think about that. And if this teacher's um, hard for you to get along with, we're going to get you into another class. And You know what I mean? Like yes. we, we, uh, we plow the field. We bulldoze the path for them for the stuff they should be dealing with. Mm-hmm. But yep. then at the same time, we're like, not we, like the three of us, but as a culture, oh, you're seven. Uh, it's time for you to start making decisions about a career path. But right. you're six, it's time for you to decide what gender you are. Yeah. Right. We yep. put those big, um, huge, heavier than they were meant to handle at that age on them and take away the things that they should be handling mm-hmm. to, you know? Yeah. That's good. What are some scriptures we can cling to, Pastor, when battling anxiety and depression? Yeah. You know, I'll preface this by just quickly saying that, you know, we shouldn't give the idea to our children that, you know, quote this verse of scripture and it'll all go away. But we should not minimize that key element of their complex being, just like it is ours, the spiritual aspect of these things that affect our minds and our our emotions and our beings. So several verses that I really have found very helpful in this. One is probably one of my favorites in relation to anxiety and depression. Um, is Micah 7, 8. And the Bible says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. He doesn't say I won't fall down, but he says when I fall, I will get up. There's hope. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And so there are some dark times, there are some shadow times, but that verse is just a strong reminder to me uh, that the Lord is our light in the darkness, and when we fall down, that He helps us rise. Mm. Um, One Psalm 94, uh, verses 18 and 19, Your mercy, Lord, held me up in the multitude of my thoughts, and that phrase, multitude of my thoughts, has to do with the weightiness of thoughts, the great anxiety. Within those thoughts within me, your comfort delights my soul. So there's a lot of verses that you can just go to that, that bring that comfort, um, that help with helping us have hope. Now, I don't think it's enough, though, to just say, okay, there's hope. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but that saying it is true doesn't change things, doesn't help us deal with the root of the problem. So I always go to a verse like Philippians 4.8 because anxiety and depression are strongly rooted in our mind. And so Philippians 4.8 is that great list. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, all those things. But that very first one, whatever things are true. Anxiety, for example, is a fear about what might happen. It asks the question, what if? What if I fail this quiz and because of this grade on this quiz, I fail this class and I end up having to take an extra year and I'm 27 when I graduate and it ruins my life and it ruins my career and I never get to marry anyone and I just die an old spinster or a, mm. an old man um, with nobody to love me and care about me because I failed this quiz. Now that's a little bit exaggeration, but we see, oh, this is, this is what could happen. Oh, all this pressure on me if I don't get this right. The future has not happened yet, so the future is not true or what we think the future is going to be is not true. When I think on whatever's true, I don't think on what might be true. I don't think on what could be true. I think on what do I know to be true. Mm. And so just something as simple as that from that verse begins the process in anxiety and depression 
um, you know, anxiety of walking into a room and two people are talking and they stop talking. Well, they're clearly talking about me. Mm -hmm. And so I feel this anxiety because people, oh, what are they thinking about me? Well, were they talking about me? I don't know. Might be, could be, but it's not true. So don't think on that. Don't focus on those things. Focus on what we know to be true. And I know that God loves me. And I know that I know that he gives me hope. And there's those kind of things. So I've, I turned my mind from a groove and a path of headed toward anxiety and headed toward depression, and I move it toward hope mm-hmm. by focusing on what's true. So that's a, that's a verse that takes it beyond God will give me light to, well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like me focusing my mind, whatever things are true, honest, just changing the way I think is the beginning. So is that where you would tell parents to start? They realize my kid is suffering from anxiety and depression. Would you tell them to start with just encouraging them spiritually with some of those passages you just uh, mentioned, having those conversations with them? Yeah, I think that's a part of it. Obviously, these things are not necessarily caused by spiritual causes, but they certainly affect spiritually. There's really five areas of our lives, and I don't have the time to go into today. We won't take the time, but, um, you know, physical, there's physical element to this. There's the mental element. There's the relational element. There's the personal element. And then there is the spiritual element to um, uh, what we're affected by. We're a complex being. So there's two dangers. One is, oh, it's all spiritual. If you just prayed more or you trusted more, had more faith, this would be resolved. You wouldn't be anxious. You wouldn't have depression. On the other hand is the idea of, well, I'm going to get a therapist and I'm going to take drugs and I'm going to do all these breathing exercises. I'm going to do hot yoga and I'm going to do all this stuff mm-hmm. and ignore the spiritual. Yeah. So it's it's a combination of that. But I certainly think the parents need to be the ones to step in that first step as they're seeing maybe some of these red flags begin to say, hey, how can I help you think? How can you think differently about this situation? What is what do we know to be true? What does the Bible tell us is true about this situation? Um, you know, for example, a lot of students and children feel pressure because of their sense of value. Where does my value come from? Go into Scripture, helping them find their value in who God made them to be and who Jesus is remaking them to be. Mm. Creation and redemption, the two great works, are our source of value. So helping them find that um, helps give them purpose, helps give them hope. And that's a first step. I think that's a great way to start into addressing these red flags of anxiety and depression. So angles we need to come at this situation from. But if there becomes a point that, hey, I, I believe my kid is really struggling with anxiety, or depression. And as a parent, I've stepped in and I've tried to be a godly parent. I've pointed them to scripture. I've engaged. I've talked to them about the things they're going through. But this is bigger. What's that line? When do I look outside of myself to be there for my kid in this situation? And you mean start looking into like professional help, counselors? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, maybe that, maybe the psychiatrist is not the first step of that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, but what what's outside of me? Where do I go? Yeah, this seems I think there's, um, and with every every child, every student, it's going to be different. So obviously there's hard to say, here's the hard, fast line. But I think when you've seen enough of the red flags and you've, you've done what you can, you've taken those steps, 
First of all, let me just say this. If a child or student expresses ideas of self-harm or suicide, that has to be an immediate thing. That's not something to take lightly. Could they be using it to manipulate and push buttons? It's possible, but it's better to be on the side of, of safety. You know, there's, there's counselors for that. There's the um, suicide prevention hotline. And in an extreme case, if you if that's the only option you have and need to call someone, talk to someone, um, there's steps that can be taken. So that has to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, if they say things like, you know, um, I'm better off dead or um, I'm ready to end it all, those kind of statements you, you need to take seriously. But if you're looking at your child and you're seeing these continued things, especially with anxiety, also with depression, you begin to see physical um, expressions of that. I think when you see those more serious symptoms, they can start, uh, if it's physical symptoms, they can start with their medical doctor. Mm -hmm. There could be some physical situation that's causing them to be more depressed. Sometimes it is a physical related thing um, or them feeling anxious. Um, and then they can also start, I think there's a, t a time and a place for a good Christian counselor. And you have to be careful because not all counselors are Christian. Not all Christian counselors use the use the Word of God. But I think that's a helpful stage to um, to find someone that can speak professionally into these things. You've taken these steps. They can evaluate. They can a, doc, a medical doctor can see is there a medical issue, and a a Christian counselor can see is there some things that can be helped. Maybe even given a a path of a course of action. I think. When, it re when you reach that point, don't wait until you are completely frustrated with your child to do that. Don't wait too late. Don't just jump at it, I would say. But if you've taken steps and you've tried some things and you've helped them with the physical aspect, maybe helped them get more rest, taken some of the pressure off, you tried to help them deal emotionally and work through the situations, and you're still seeing a consistent harmful pattern um, emotionally or physically or mentally, spiritually, then that's the time to reach out. Um, there's some good Christian counselors in our area and really most areas uh, that you can reach to that can give some good insight biblically and clinically into is this more than just yeah. a temporary thing? Is this something that's more serious? Yeah. I think in the past there was a a stigma that went along with that. Yeah. And I think sometimes parents were nervous about going to a counselor, taking their kid to a counselor, because now this kid is going to be labeled a certain way. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've evolved as a society past that. Yeah. And we see that there's a real healthy aspect to to um, having counselors. Yeah. And the Bible even says there's um, wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Yeah. So as you're saying that, I'm just thinking... If you're not sure, what's the harm yeah. in going to a Christian counselor and saying, hey, is this something? Do we need to be doing this on a regular basis? Can you give me some tips as a parent? But would you say, uh, this might get us in trouble, would you say there's a real danger in visiting a um, psychological professional who doesn't hold a Christian worldview? I think you're running a great risk with that. There are there are some very skilled, licensed counselors who are Christians, whether they identify as a Christian counselor or not. But you have to be very careful because you can you can sit in the counsel of the ungodly. The Bible says in Psalm one, and I've I've seen uh, students and adults 
who go to some counselors who just give them some really bad advice, mm-hmm. some very unscriptural advice, pushing them toward, especially in this day and time when they are almost required to affirm certain right. wrong thinking. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the point of this this session, but they encourage them toward that. So I think I would be very careful. Uh, I would be I would be open to encouraging someone to go or take someone to a child to a good counselor, but I would be very careful in investigating, finding out, talking to that person first to find out where where they are. Um, you know, if our if our child has a physical problem, we take them to a doctor. The mind is another organ right. in the body. So I'm glad, I'm like you, I'm glad that stigma has been taken away. And the church has not always been very balanced in this. We've tended toward the over-spiritualizing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, who better to model for this culture and to our families a balanced approach? We believe in the value of the entire person. We believe that the body is of value. We believe that the spirit and the soul are of value. And what better way to demonstrate that than with a balanced approach to, hey, if you have mental health issues, talk to someone who, is an, who has studied that and knows mm-hmm. that. And don't just say, hey, a verse, read a verse of Scripture and have more faith. Saying have more faith is like saying cheer up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the church has the opportunity in a time that's increasingly anxious and increasingly depressed, we have the opportunity to model a biblical viewpoint of it and a balanced, grace-filled approach to it. And that's not to say uh, that God's not the answer. Right. Ultimately, he is the great healer of mm-hmm. yes. every issue that we have, and all of these struggles are temporary, which is, I think, a big thing to remember when we're dealing with anxiety, depression, sadness, nervousness, all this is temporary. There's a God who loves us and is in complete control. One day, his children are going to be rescued from all of this, you know? So it's not to say in exclusion to that, or we need more than God. It's just to say, while we're here on earth, you know, my headaches aren't going to last forever in heaven. I'm not going to have that. That doesn't mean I don't want to take Tylenol. Mm -hmm. Right. I love it. Well, and let me just say quickly about that. Uh, I could... The passage I always use on that is First Kings 19, where you have Elijah in a very depressed state, yeah. and God's God's his therapist. Mm-hmm. God's the one that, but God addresses all these: the physical, the mental, the relational. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing he does is Elijah sleeps, and then he eats, and then he sleeps some more, and he's he, he's worn out, he's exhausted. There's mm-hmm. a physical element to this depression. Um, relational. He's left his friends behind. He's all by himself. God says, hey, I've got somebody to come along. I've got Elisha to come along and work with you. You're not alone. So, And then spiritually, he asked him the question, of, what are you doing here? Yeah. Mm. You know, he draws, him, he draws attention to his spiritual condition. So when we say that, it's, we should never say, uh, you know, the spiritual part is what God does and then the rest. No, God created us as a whole being. He provides those gifts for complete healing. So when we do address the physical, which might include medicine, you have to be very careful with that, uh, might include a therapist, a counselor, we're not ignoring God. We're using the tools that God yeah. has placed at our disposal, like Tylenol for a headache, to address a very real issue. Mm, right. That's good. I love it. Pastor Cameron, thanks for 
coming in and uh, and sitting with us and straightening us out on all this stuff. I'm going <laughs> to steal that sermon outline you just shared at the end. So if you were listening, just forget all about that. <laughs> hey, uh, you guys, thanks for listening to Beyond a Parent. Remember, parenting is beyond us, but in Christ we have all that we need for this child. Peace out. <laughs>